I want to welcome all of you to Flint Hills Bible Church on this very special occasion. This is our, obviously, our Christmas Eve service, and it is a joy and a, an honor for me to be able to bring the message tonight to celebrate and remember the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, what we're going to do this evening is we're going to be in John's Gospel, chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, please open those up and turn to John, chapter 1. And John, of course, is is the Apostle John. He is the uh, disciple of Christ, one of the disciples. He was actually in the inner circle. He had special access to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was in his inner circle. Uh, trusted trusted disciples at a special place among them, along with Peter and James. But one of the reasons I chose John chapter 1 this evening for our devotion is because it's kind of a unique account of the Christmas story, and you'll see what I mean after we read it. Let's go ahead and read. We're going to start in verse 1 and go all the way through verse 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you tonight together to to think about and consider the Word, the Word made flesh, what a tremendous and important and powerful truth. And Lord, I know that I, I don't always consider this with the proper attitude of reverence and honor and amazement that it deserves. So Father, I pray that you'd help us. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to focus our minds and hearts on the truth that 
the eternal word took on flesh to save sinners. We pray that you do this for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. So like I said, John's gospel is a bit unique compared to Matthew and Luke because there's a few things missing. Did you hear that? There's no, no Mary and Joseph mentioned. Uh, there is no mention of Caesar and a decree that forced Mary and Joseph to go to Bethlehem. He doesn't mention Bethlehem being born in a stable. He doesn't mention the shepherds watching their flocks at night or the angels that came and sang a cool song and told them to get over there and see Jesus. Christ's genealogy is missing. There's no mention of the wise men who follow the star or King Herod's murderous plan to kill Jesus. There's no mention of the political tension that it was there between Israel and, and Rome. All of that stuff's missing. So if all of that's gone, what kind of Christmas account do we have here? When you strip away all of the supporting cast and the circumstances surrounding first century Israel and Bethlehem, you're left with the person of Jesus Christ. So this evening I want to just observe a few things from this short but powerful um, description of Christ's first coming. And, I mean, trust me, there are entire books written about these verses that we're going to cover, and I've only got, you know, 25 minutes left. So we're going to be moving pretty quick. But uh, there are very important things that, that we want to highlight here as we think about Christmas. And I do, for those of you who do are taking notes, I have a four-point outline, maybe three and a half. I'm not sure how you would do this. But the first point is the introduction of the word. We'll find that in verses one through eight. The introduction of the word. The second point is the response to the word. It's found in verses 9 through 13. The third point is the glory of the word. Verses 14 through 18. And then we're going to talk about the fourth point, which is the implications. A couple of implications, as long as I'm not going over time. So, let's start with the introduction of the word. Let's look at verses 1 through 8 again. John 1, 1 through 8. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was a witness to bear, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. One of the more intriguing things about John's um, account here is the fact that he doesn't actually name Jesus until the 17th verse. Instead, we, we're introduced to the word, which is the Greek word logos, and he calls Jesus Logos, and you might ask yourself, well, why does he do that? Well, here at Flint Hills Bible Church, and there's the standard Christian response is we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Okay, so the inerrancy of Scripture is a fancy way to say that 
in Scripture, we believe that there are no contradictions. There's no mistakes. Um, John is not like forgetting things that he should have mentioned earlier. No, he is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this account just as it is written. And that is one of the amazing miracles that God uh, extends his sovereignty over the writing of his word and and the preservation of it. And that is a a wonderful thing. So then we're left to ask ourselves, well, why is John calling Jesus the word? And if we take a look at his audience, it gives us one reason. John is writing this gospel account to a blended audience of Jews and Gentiles. And so each of those groups of people would have a slightly different um, understanding of logos. The Gentiles uh, would, would hear the word logos and think of, of kind of this non-personal force that kind of organized and works in all things. It's kind of this, now I'm not a big Star Wars guy, but maybe it's like the force. I don't know. You can correct me later. But it's this idea that there is something going on that's, that's in control and working in all of these things. And that was their idea of this logos. It was a very Greek thing, a Greek belief. And John's usage of this word is very different. He's taking their understanding and he's changing it. He's informing them that that's no, the word, the logos, is not some impersonal thing, some power. No, it's a person. The logos is the most important person. It is the person who created all things. Then the Jewish audience, listening to John's gospel, they would hear in the beginning, and where would they think? They would go all the way back to Genesis. Right? Genesis 1 starts off, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So John starts off, he says, in the beginning was the word. So you have the clear link to the beginning, but you also have, when John says, in the beginning was the word, that would also perk, their ears would perk up and they think, well, hold on a second, because in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, how did he do that? Well, Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light. How does God create? With the power of his word. And he goes on in verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse. In verse 9, and God said, verse 11, verse 14, verse 26, verse 24 and 26 and, and on, we have this clear teaching from John. Hey, remember the creator, Yahweh? It's Jesus. He's saying, in the beginning was the word. And he continues, and the word was with God. So the word is not, it's, it's something that is distinct in some way from God. And the word was God. So in the beginning, we have right now already the logos. He is eternal. He's not bound. He didn't start when stuff started. He didn't start with creation. Rather, he was there at the beginning. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. That that speaks to the, the relationship between the word and the father. They have a relationship face-to-face, and they are equal. So there's a distinction between the Word and God, but they are one in essence. So Lagos is God. 
the second person of the Trinity. So again, books have been written, so you can look those up, but we got to go on. Now, this is John redefining, helping both Jews and Gentiles alike understand something about the Savior, the one who was born. He is God from all eternity, and he created all things. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. If it exists, Jesus made it. That's what John's telling him. So you'd think, you know, with such an important person, the word, this eternal, coexistent, equal with God word, when he comes, man, he's gonna, there's going to be a party. Parades, welcome committee, red carpet. It's going to be awesome, right? No, unfortunately, that's not correct. Look at verse 9. Our next point is, the response to the word. We're going to see the indifference of the people there. Verse 9. The true light which gives, sorry, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him. But wait, it gets worse. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So here we see the world did not recognize its maker. How many people do you suppose saw Jesus in his lifetime? Probably a lot, right? We're talking about thousands of people. I mean, he spoke to crowds, preached to crowds of thousands, healed hundreds and thousands of people, interacted with many, and yet the vast majority of them did not recognize him as the word, as God. I mean, spoiler, they, they actually killed him because he was claiming to be God, and that's why they ended up not accepting him. But when he came to his own, that's a reference to the Israelites, the Jewish people, he came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. It's looking pretty bad, isn't it? How, how did they miss it so badly? How did, how did first century people miss the Savior? How do they miss God in the flesh? But before we get too uh, judgmental and look down on them too much, let's, how much attention do we pay today, this last week, how much attention have we paid to the, the word made flesh? And this is a season when we specifically take time and we think about the coming of, of Christ. And just as a, as a quiet reflection, how, how much time have you devoted to observing, preparing your heart for the Lord Jesus Christ to, to worship him as the eternal God who came and made himself man? What would be in a, a reasonable amount of time that we should carve out of our schedules to worship the word? There's a lot of distractions, right? How much attention is paid to buying stuff for people, getting gifts, decorations, traveling, food, 
vacations, family traditions, men with red suits, with peculiar modes of transportation, all of those things. How much of of time and energy do we pour into those things? And then how much do we devote to the word? And then, of course, don't, don't forget the social media posts about all the things that I mentioned. Now, to be clear, uh, I'm not saying that any of those things are wrong. In fact, some of those things are good, and, and some of those things are even necessary. You know, it's good to have some family traditions where you sit around and you do things together every year. That's a good thing. But we can be guilty of letting any one of those things overshadow and overtake our love for and our devotion to the Word, the Word made flesh. Continuing on in verses 12 and 13, we do see another response, a better one. Look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we see there, there are some, there are some exceptions who saw the Lord Jesus for who he was, and they believed in his name, and they received his word, and to those, he gave the right to become children of God. Really, that, that is, honestly, those two verses are kind of the mountain peak of this passage. As John's writing this prologue, this is kind of his introduction to the rest of his gospel. This is, these two verses are the climax of the passage. To those who received him who believed in his name, it's a call for us, a reminder for us to do that. So how do you know if you do believe in his name? Is it just a matter of saying, yeah, well, I, I mean, I know Jesus, I, I'm going to snap my finger and I'm a child of God. I believe in his name, sure. Or is there more to it? That's not what believing means. In fact, there's, there's one of the things that makes it a little tricky and why, why we have to really do some self-examination is because there are people in the gospel of John who believed in Jesus, but then wanted to kill him. One example, if you look at, at John chapter 8, verse 30, uh, beginning in 31, it's, um, it contains that very famous verse where, where Jesus says, uh, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right? He's talking to Jews, and, he, and it says, the Pharisees heard, oh, wrong, that's seven. One more page. Chapter 8, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they resisted him. And by the end of the chapter, they're wanting to pick up stones and kill him. And these were people who believed him. One more example. In John chapter 12, verse 42, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, 
they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So there's something more to just this easy, like, surface-level belief. I, yeah, I believe that Jesus probably existed a long time ago. He's probably a good guy, good teacher, big moral guy. I like him. No, there's more to it than that. And John gives us in the next section here, those who really believe in his name, those who really receive the Lord Jesus, they wonder and they behold the Lord Jesus and they worship. Look at verse 14 of John chapter one. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. We behold the word made flesh. There's just a a few things that I want to point out here that we should we would do well to consider, to spend some time thinking on, let it marinate in your brains. One of them is that God, who we talked about earlier, the one who is eternal, the one who created all things, entered into his creation. The God of the universe became a baby in Mary's womb. That, that's an amazing thought. The one who holds the, the world together by the word of his power in Hebrews 1, that's Jesus, and he became a baby who needed his mother to carry him around, to feed him, to change him, to soothe him when he was crying. That humility is amazing. God of the universe became flesh. And he dwelt among us. That's an interesting word. Uh, it would have been, been very impactful for the Jewish audience. That, that word is, the, is, is how they would have translated tabernacled. So it's, it's like saying that Jesus became flesh and tabernacled among us and that would have taken them back to the Exodus when Israel was freed from slavery from the Egyptians by the power of God and he was leading them out and he had Moses build him a tent. And in this tent, the, the presence of God would manifestly, it would come down and, and rest in the tent. And that was God dwelling with his people, but it, it wasn't all the time. See, Jesus, the word dwelling among us He took on a body and he was there all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. He was in and among people. He dwelt with us. It's amazing. 
And in verse 18, one more thing, Jesus explains the Father to us. We couldn't know the Father. Jesus, the only one who could know the Father, came down and made the Father known. Colossians 1, 15 through 16, we might ask, well, what do, how do you do that? Colossians says, Paul writes this, he is the image of the invisible God. And the exact, I'm sorry, uh, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So there Paul saying, he is the image of the invisible God. How can you have an image of the invisible God? He is such a perfect representation of the Father, the invisible Father, Jesus, is like looking at the Father. Hebrews 1.3 says this, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So the word came to earth to dwell among us, to reveal the character of God. He came to teach us about the Father. He was revealing the person and character of God, but he also had a mission. So one of the implications of this Christmas story is you know, why, did, why did we need someone to come teach us about the Father? Why do we need someone to come give us the right to become children of God? Well, that's because our sin separated us from God. Every one of us. Romans 1 says, the, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Every one of us is guilty of that. You and I. Paul continues in Romans 3.23 and says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. That's the state that we are each in at some point in our lives. And perhaps some of you still in this room hearing me say these things, you're still in that state. So the mission of the word was to come and make a way for us to escape the wrath of God that should fall on us. If God is just, we should all be punished for the sins that we have committed against him, the rebellion that we have committed against our God. And so Jesus comes. He takes on flesh. And he lives perfectly in Romans 8.3 talks about how Jesus came and he came the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, the Father was able to condemn sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Jesus makes the way for us to be forgiven while maintaining the justice of God. So those who put their trust and faith completely in the Lord Jesus Christ as the payment for their sin, 
the debt of sin that they owe to God. Trusting in Jesus as the one who takes that away, who satisfies the wrath of God. Well, those are the ones who become children of God. He becomes our greatest treasure. He becomes the the treasure that we long for and the day that we long for when we will see him face to face. We'll see him and we will be forgiven. We are forgiven in Christ. And we'll behold his glory for all eternity. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for this wonderful truth that John is teaching us, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's amazing. Father, we pray that you would help us as we try to to wade through the distractions of this season. All of the things that are flashing lights and, and bells that are trying to get our attention. Father, help us to set our minds and our hearts on the Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate, we remember that Jesus came as a baby and he lived a life here on earth. Then he died a death for his people. And that one day now we look forward to when he comes back as the king, the conquering king. We look forward to the day when we will be with him in eternity, worshiping him, enjoying him, beholding him. We love you, Lord. Do these things for your great and glorious name. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.